Good morning, church. What a joy it is to be with you this morning to open up God's Word. Honestly, very excited about today's message. I know as a speaker I'm supposed to say that, but, um, but today I really mean it. Not that I didn't mean it before, but today I'm really excited because, in, you know, in the past when we've done this book of Ecclesiastes, I've been quite depressed reading it. Not very excited going into it because the content is quite depressing, isn't it? It's quite melancholy. But coming back to it again this time, I've been really um, excited because God has been showing me not just the wealth of wisdom that's in this book, and there's a lot of wealth of wisdom in this book, but He's been showing me what it points to. He's been showing me what this book highlights, and it highlights um, what God has done to redeem our lives. And I'm so excited to show you that from his word. Today, just to frame what we're going to talk about and what we're going to see in the passage, there are three roads of life that the preacher, possibly who is King Solomon, is walking down. And he's going to the end of this road, right? He's traveling this path and is going to its end. And he's coming back to us and going, this is what I found. This is what I found after journeying this path. And there are three roads that he's journeying down today. And uh, there are three roads of life that we all travel down. You can't avoid it. They're part of life. These roads are the road of enlightenment. That's the road of knowledge and wisdom. The road of effort, work. We all work. We all do something. We all uh, achieve something with our lives. And the road of enjoyment. We all want to enjoy life, right? We all do enjoy life. We all have pleasure in our lives. And there are three roads that he walks down. And he goes to its extreme. He goes to its end. And he's reporting to us what he has found. And so let's go to our passage today in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 12 to uh, chapter 2 verse 26. It's a long passage. So, but let's hear the wisdom from the Lord. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. That's his conclusion um, to start with, right? The conclusion is whatever we have to do is unhappy. It's an unhappy business that we have. I've seen everything that has been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, or that word havel. Is that word again and again? And it pretty much means futility, emptiness. When you try to catch it, it's like um, catching vapor or smoke. Um, and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. And what it means there is that there comes to a point in our lives where you can't change how things are. It's not that you cannot change life or you cannot make change in your life. It's that there comes a point where you're, it be, it's, it's beyond your control. You come to obstacles in your life. You come to an extent of the amount of wealth you can accumulate, the amount of knowledge you can accumulate, and you can't push beyond that. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation or frustration. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Chapter 2. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was 
vanity, havel. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure, what uses it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of, on folly, <clears throat> till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has been done. Then I saw that there's more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there's more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks around in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also Havel, vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is Havel, and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil, in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise or fool. Yet he'll be master of all for which I toiled, and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his works is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity, havel. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is Havel, and the striving after the wind. Come, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom that is in this book. Lord, I pray that Holy Spirit, you use me powerfully to show, to highlight, to display your glory that is within this passage. The glory that this passage is pointed to in highlighting, I pray that your people will see it. We will see it and we will marvel at the beauty of what you have done. I pray that this will transform our lives and transform how we live our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So three roads, right? The road of enlightenment, the road of effort and the road of enjoyment. Let's go down the first road. <clears throat> Let's travel the first road with the preacher. Road of enlightenment. 
I don't think there's ever been a time since in the history of humankind where we have had access to so much information before, right? Internet and social media has, has allowed us to know more about the world, know more about ourselves, and know more about one another than ever before, right? So we are living in a generation, in an age where we are more well-educated, more well-informed than ever before. And in a sense, that is a good thing. That is a good thing because if you're going to choose wisdom or foolishness, choose wisdom because wisdom is better, right? He says it here in chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, right? There is more to gain in wisdom than in folly because living wisely is like walking down a road with a torch in your hand. Um, you get to avoid the obstacles in life. You, it generally leads to a better life because you avoid trouble in your way. That's what wisdom does. So if you're going to choose between living wisely or living foolishly, choose wisdom. It's better. But he has two major gripes with wisdom. Two major gripes. The first is wisdom cannot help you escape death. No matter how smart you are, you're going to die. And that's the same if you live foolishly or you live wisely. And it doesn't mean that, there's, that wisdom is bad. No, no, no. Wisdom is good. Again, right? It's, more, it's better to live wisely than foolishly. But, but, and this is the havelness of wisdom, the futility of wisdom, that in the end, wisdom can't save you from death. The second gripe he has is that wisdom brings with it frustration and sorrow. It says here in verse 18 of chapter 1, for in much wisdom is much vexation or sorrow. And he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. Here's the irony of wisdom. <clears throat> it can lead to a better life, but it might not lead to a happier life. I've experienced this myself in becoming a new parent. Um, many of you know, I've shared this on stage, that I've recently become the parent of a beautiful baby girl. And it's been an amazing time of adjustment and learning, and for any parent here, and I know there's many of you watching online and in the city campus and here in Williston, you know that becoming a new parent is overwhelming because there's so much to learn. There's so many things that are adjusting in your life and changing in your family. And there's been many times when I've just been lost, absolutely confused about what to do with this screaming baby in my hands. And so I do what anyone would do when they're confused. I turn to Google. So I search Google and go, Google, tell me how to calm my screaming baby. And it tells me a bunch of stuff. And it's great, right? It's really good because there's so much information that you can find on the internet about how to care for your child. And it's been good because it's helped me care better for my child. For example, I now know that you're meant to sterilize um, all the feeding equipment after every use. Didn't know that. Had no idea. But now I know. And it's helped me care better for my child. But if I'm honest... There's a bit too much information out there. And the, the problem with the information is that they don't all agree. Like, just tell me what I need to do, and I'll do it. But what the internet has, all the collective wisdom of humanity has, it tells me one thing, and then another person would tell me a complete opposite thing. And I don't know what to do. For example, it would tell me, you can sleep train a baby the moment they are out of the womb. Another person would tell me, no, 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 you can't do that, I can't do that. That, that is, the, they're not developmentally ready for sleep training. You can't do that. You need to wait at least 12 weeks, if not four months, if not six months. So which is it? I still don't know. So, um, but I'll tell you when I find out. Um, but you know, and that's the thing, with this amount of collective wisdom that we have, is helped. 
but it hasn't necessarily made me a happier parent. In fact, it's quite frustrating. I remember um, Pastor Benny asking me, because I'll, okay, honestly, the first month, pretty hard. I'm not gonna lie, pretty rough. And Pastor Benny was asking me, why is it so tough? Because when he was having a, his kid, he was fine. I was like, you know what? I think the problem is there's too much information out there. Ignorance is bliss. You know, if I didn't know that I need to sterilize my feeding equipment, I'd be much happier. Things would be so much easier, right? And so with wisdom, lead to a better life, but with it comes a little bit of frustration. It's not necessarily made life happier. And I think we experience it in other areas of our life. Um, for example, the amount of information and news updates that we get on world events is overwhelming, isn't it? There used to be a time, not too long ago, when you would just hear about all the bad things that were happening in your neighborhood, or in your city, or maybe in your country. That was bad enough. But now, you hear about all the wars, all the atrocities, all the scandals that are happening across the entire world. That has got to take its toll. So we're living in an age where we have access to more information than ever before. We're more well-informed than ever before, but it's not necessarily made us happier people. And this is what the teacher is reflecting on. Now, this is why he says, wisdom is utterly havel. It's meaningless. It's futile unless we allow God to redeem this path. In God, we see a different way to walk this path. Okay, and I want to show this to you. I'm really excited about this. Um, go with me to, um, not, not your Bibles, but just go with me mentally to the Garden of Eden when we were first created. Okay, how did God originally design us to live? Well, he gave us two options essentially, right? He gave us one option, you either obey me and let me choose for you what is right and good and wise, or you can choose for yourself. You can decide for yourself what is good, wise, and you can discern between good and evil, wise and foolish. What do we choose? Humanity chose, I want to choose myself. And what has it led to? Since then, it has led to suffering, pain, this havelness of life. But how did God originally design us to live? In obedience to him. And this is what I want to put forward to you. Obedience is true wisdom. Obedience to God is true wisdom, and that is how he originally designed us to live. If we look at the life of King Solomon for a moment, arguably the wisest person who has ever lived on this earth, he led Israel to this golden age of prosperity and peace, and did so by doing a few things, a few wise key decisions. Firstly, he allied himself with the surrounding nations by entering into political marriages. One key one was marrying the daughter of Pharaoh, okay? He accumulated a lot of wealth, so much wealth that Every article in his palace was made of pure gold. Why? Because silver was too common for him. Okay, he got so wealthy that silver was just, you know what, that's just nothing. Gold all the way. And second, thirdly, he imported chariots and horses from Egypt and the surrounding nations to bolster his army. Were these wise decisions? Yes, in some sense it led to the golden age of Israel. Yes, they were wise decisions. But did you know, did you realize that these very things were warned against, were prohibited by God to the, future kings of, to the future kings of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 16 to 17, God warns the future kings of Israel, don't have anything to do with Egypt. 
I'm going to summarize the passage on the screen. Don't have anything to do with Egypt. Don't have many horses. Don't have many wives. And don't have a lot of gold and silver. What does King Solomon do? Every single one of those things. Let me ask you again. Was King Solomon wise? In an earthly sense, yeah. Yeah. But from God's perspective, he was incredibly foolish. And did you know that immediately after King Solomon died, his kingdom was divided in two? And it never recovered? Let me answer this. Was he wise or foolish? I think he was. The Bible wants us to see that he was ultimately very foolish because he disobeyed God. So I want to put forward to this. Put, put, put forward this to you. True wisdom is obedience. How then can we live wisely? How then can we obey God? Because we know that obeying God is difficult. We can't do it. His perfect law is so perfect that we cannot fulfill it. And this is where I'm glad we sang all about the cross today because it is in Jesus Christ that we can walk this path, right? In Jesus is true wisdom. The way you walk this path is by following Jesus. We obey God by following Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verse 2 to 3 says that they might have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How then should we walk this path of enlightenment, of wisdom, knowledge? Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus because when you follow him, he leads you towards wisdom and knowledge because he is wisdom and knowledge. As we live life according to his ways, he shows us what truly wise living is. And do you know that this path, when you follow Jesus, he doesn't lead you down the path that leads to havel, to futility. No, he leads you down the path that leads to life. Because what did Jesus come to do but to give life and give it to the full? Therefore, this path of life can be redeemed, has been redeemed from its hevelness, from its vanity, from its futility, if we walk it following Jesus. If we walk it following Jesus. Therefore, wisdom, true knowledge is not knowing more about the world. It's knowing more about God. Because that kind of knowledge leads to life. True wisdom is not found on the internet. It's not found on your social media feed. No, true wisdom is found in God's word. When we follow him, he leads down, us down the path that leads to eternal life. And do you know that at the end of this path, what do you get? What is at the end of this path? Him. Him. In the end, if you follow Jesus, the end of the road is you get Jesus. You spend an eternity with him. The source of life, the source of truth, the source of joy, everything that you need, you want, you possibly desire is found in him. Let's follow, not our own wisdom, let's follow Jesus and obey what he has for us. Amen.
the road of enlightenment. Secondly, the road of effort, toil. I'd love to tell you that God says that, you know what, forget work. Just live your life lazing about. No, but he, he doesn't. Work is actually a good God-ordained activity, but because of sin, it has been distorted. It used to be, it was meant to be this joyful, fulfilling thing that we did. But because of sin, it has become toil. That word toil is a great translation of the Hebrew word because it's got this negative connotation to it. It's got this connotation of this backbreaking, soul-wrenching activity that sucks the life out of us. That's what work has become, hasn't it? I think we can all relate to that. And he mentions, the preacher mentions two reasons why our toil and effort we expend on this earth is havel, is futile. One, someone else gets to enjoy the fruits of our labor. This is frustrating because you will work really hard all your life, but then someone else will enjoy the fruits of your labor. That's annoying. And who knows whether they'll be wise or foolish? Who knows whether they'll be able to appreciate it or use it wisely? That is frustrating. That is havel. The second thing, work itself is frustrating and stressful. Chapter 2, verse 23 for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even at night, his heart does not rest. For those of you who are in management positions or in business, you know this, right? Sometimes you bring work home with you. Even at night, you are stressing and, and, and fussing over work. Work does not end for you. Work itself is frustrating and stressful. Why do we work so hard in our lives then? To hopefully retire early, to hopefully... Um, save up enough so that we can live the rest of our days after retirement comfortably. But in the end, here's the truth, that you take none of it with you. And it's, it's going to be enjoyed by someone else. And he, it's here that the preacher offers some advice that we should pay attention to. Chapter 2, verse 24, 25. There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him... Who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Now, this isn't worldly advice. This is godly wisdom right here. To be able to relax, to find contentment, to find fulfillment in what you do and in the fruits of your labor, that is wise living. To be able to sit down at a meal with your friends and with your family after a hard day's work and enjoy it, that is a blessing from God. To be able to enjoy the moment, even at work, that you're able to work, or at study, that you're able to study. To be able to enjoy that moment instead of stressing about the future, that is wisdom, and that is a blessing from God. However, let's take it a step further. Let's push it further. The preacher has unveiled to us, pulled back the curtain on what life is like under the sun. But let's peek behind the curtain of what it looks like from God's perspective. What happens when you shine the light of Jesus on this path. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So you see, this road of effort that we expend on this earth, it's at the end of the road is Havel because you don't take any of it with you. But in Christ, if you walk this path, not working for yourself, not working for that enjoyment, not striving for that achievement or that promotion or that status or that fame or that glory for yourself, but you do it 
for God. You serve, you work as if serving Christ. Well, then your reward is not bound on this earth. It's bound in heaven. Your reward will not be left to someone else. No, you get to enjoy it with him. You're getting this. So in Christ, this road is lifted above its havelness and is given fruitfulness. Because in him, the fruit of your labor is no longer earthbound. It's heavenbound. The rewards of your hard work are no longer temporal. They are eternal. If, if, whatever we do in our lives, when you go to work tomorrow, you're not working for yourself or for your boss, you're working for him. Then this road of effort that we all must walk is redeemed from its utility and it's made fruitful in Christ. Amen. Isn't that amazing? I find this absolutely beautiful. The third road is the road of enjoyment. The road of enjoyment. So essentially what the preacher does is he lives this life of self-indulgence, of hedonism, just indulging any pleasure he wants. And it's summarized in two verses. In chapter 2, verse 1, come now, I'm going to test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. And in chapter 2, verse 10, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. In other words, he lived life to the full. Absolutely to the full. He did not keep from himself anything that he desired. He partied hard, real hard. Uh, chapter 2, verse 2 to 3 implies that he drank. He had frivolous laughter, partying. Um, he enjoyed wine and alcohol. He partied hard, held grand feasts. He made beautiful works of art. Gardens, vineyards, houses. He obtained as much wealth as he possibly could. And he indulged in every form of pleasure and entertainment he could find. He did it all. He did it all. But what did he find at the end of this road? It was, spoiler alert, you know this, right? It is Havel. It was futile. I seem to have gained nothing. It was like striving after the wind. I could never have enough. In the end, I seem to have gained nothing substantial. Now, to be clear here, it's not that there was no enjoyment to be had. No, he enjoyed himself a lot. He enjoyed himself a lot. But the problem was that after it was over, it was over. Have you ever experienced this um, feeling of post-holiday depression before? Where you really look forward to a holiday for months on end, and you're like, oh, this is going to be amazing, this is going to be awesome, you're going to finally relax and stuff like that. And you finally get there, and it, it is amazing. It's everything you could possibly hope for, and more. It's incredible. You thoroughly enjoy yourself until you get back home, and there's this sinking feeling of just emptiness, of just, what do I do now? Right? Have you experienced that before? It's like as if you're more depressed after the holiday than you were before, right? It's kind of weird, right? And why? Because the fun's over. The holiday has to end sometime. Have you, have you, have you ever had one of those weeks, those really long weeks where you're just waiting for the weekend, just holding out for the weekend? Like you get to Friday and like, thank goodness it is Friday, right? One of those weeks. And when you get to the weekend, it's amazing. You get have some, a good meal with your friends and family, you get to relax, just maybe binge a Netflix show, you know, it, and it's incredible. You get to unwind, it's so relaxing until Monday rolls around and you start it all over again. 
Isn't that absolutely havel? Isn't that meaningless? Isn't that frustrating? Why? Because the fun needs to end. The weekend needs to stop. That's what's frustrating. And that's what he's, he's reflecting on here. That it's not that there's no enjoyment to be had in life. There is a lot of enjoyment to be had in life, in your holidays, in your weekends, in your entertainment. But the problem is, it must end sometime. And that's why he says, every enjoyment and pleasure under the sun is Havel. So what do we do? How do we, how do we deal with this? Well, we naturally do what on, the only thing that we can do, right? Once one holiday ends, what do we do? We, we plan the next one. Uh, once the last endorphin rush from our latest purchase fades, we go into Amazon and we purchase something else, right? So what we end up being is kind of like pleasure junkies, running from one source of pleasure to the next, getting our latest hit, making sure that we never feel that emptiness that comes from the fun being over. That's the only way you can live and travel down this path of enjoyment in this life under the sun. Unless, unless you look at it from God's perspective. Unless you find your enjoyment in Jesus. Psalms chapter 16, verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, this path of enjoyment was never meant to be walked apart from God. It was never. But we have naturally looked to the things around us and before us to fill our pleasure tank, haven't we? TV shows, games, holidays, friends, movies. We have looked for these things to fill our source of enjoyment and pleasure. And these aren't bad things. Don't get me wrong, these are not bad things. Holidays are not bad things. They are just inferior to the true joy that is found in God. It is kind of like choosing to eat at McDonald's when you could be eating at a fine dining restaurant. Or it's like choosing to play on a playground swing when you could be at Disneyland. C.S. Lewis says this so much more eloquently than I've just done. He says, no, your desires aren't the problem. It's the weakness of your desires that are the problem. You are like a child fooling about in the slums with your mud pies because you can't possibly imagine what a holiday at the sea is like. That's our problem. We hear verses like Psalm 16, verse 11, and we hear, in his presence is fullness, fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures, plural, forevermore, unending, they don't end. Yet we choose, <clears throat> yet we choose these other things. When we know, and this is the truth, this is how God redeems this path of hellbellness, of enjoyment, and he makes it a blooming oasis. He says, find your joy in me. Let me be your source and object of enjoyment. You know how we live our lives? It's kind of like, Imagine um, you go on a date with your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend. If you don't have one, just imagine it with me. Um, you usually do a bunch of things, right, in on, date, on a date, right? You usually um, say go for a meal, 
and you do an activity together. Say you watch a movie together. So imagine you're on one of those dates. Just imagine with me you're on one of those dates. And for the purpose of the story, do not imagine your spouse. You, you understand why. Imagine you're on one of those dates and the person that you're with ignores you the entire time. <clears throat> they do not acknowledge you, but they are enjoying themselves a lot. They're having a great time with their meal. They're slurping it up. They're enjoying it. They're like, wow, this is the best meal I've ever had. Having a great time. They go to the movie and they're, they're laughing. They're enjoying themselves. It's amazing for them. But, and the worst part is you foot the bill. But, the, but, but they, don't, they, don't, they don't acknowledge you. <clears throat> they don't interact with you. Okay. What's the problem with how they've done the date? What's the cardinal sin they've made? They've missed the point of the date, right? The date is not about having a good meal. The date is not about watching a fun movie. The date, done correctly, is meant to be about enjoying time together, right? If I can put it this way, it's about delighting in one another. And it's not that you have to choose between either I enjoy my meal or I enjoy the person that I'm with. No, they're not mutually exclusive. You can do both. In fact, when you enjoy one another's company, when you delight in one another, it enriches the meal. It enriches the activity that you do together. Am I right? I think we have forgotten this because that is exactly how we treated God. We've missed the point of life. We have... We have gone on a holidays and left him at, on the airplane. We have watched our shows and left him outside the door. We've had our meals and said, you wait outside the room. We've done life apart from him, when life was meant to be done with him, in him. In fact, life is better when we delight in God. That's why it says in Psalm chapter 37, verse four, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Not that if you desire a car, you'll get a car when you delight him. No, no, no. But that when you delight in him, when you rejoice in him, he satisfies the deepest longings of your heart. He fills your tank to overflowing. And so what we're guilty of, and this is something that I've had to wrestle with this week as I've come to this passage. Believe me, I've had to wrestle with it a lot. We have shortchanged ourselves. We've shortchanged ourselves by choosing mud pies in the slums when we could be enjoying a holiday at the beach. And there's a way we can correct that. We can go down this road differently. We can walk this path differently. It doesn't need to be a desert road. It can be an oasis for us if we delight in God. We delight in God again. Can I maybe encourage and suggest two things that we can do and that I have been challenged to do myself? One, take a moment to enjoy God's presence every day. Take a moment to enjoy God's presence. Don't come to him necessarily with a laundry list of things that you need to do or need to pray about or a scripture that you need to read necessarily, but just enjoy him for him. When was the last time you had that? 
You spend that moment just enjoying God for who he is. Not what he can give you. Not that what you need to pray for. Just for him. Because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. I think what we need to do is retrain our hearts to find enjoyment and delight just in God. Just in God. So take a moment of our day to enjoy him in nature, if you're so inclined. Maybe not today because it's raining, but, you know, but to marvel at his creation. Take that moment to praise him for what he has done. Delight in his word. Just meditate on it. Ever since having a baby, I've woken up very early nowadays. And, um, and I found the joy of just taking a walk with my child and early in the morning and meditating on God's word. It's been tremendously refreshing. Or take a moment just to enjoy God in his presence with some worship. Worship music. Just put it on Spotify. And just praise him for who he is. I think we got to relearn this discipline of enjoying God for God. Delight in his presence. Secondly, include God in what you enjoy. Include God in what you enjoy. Rejoice in the fact that you can enjoy a meal with your friends and family. Don't just, you know, say that token prayer of grace and go, God just bless this food, thank you for it, and off you go. You know, no, no, include him in the meal. Rejoice in the fact that you're able to spend it, spend that time with your friends and family. Because that is a blessing from God. Praise God for the gift of entertainment. They're able to enjoy this time of just relaxation and unwinding. That's from him. Rejoice in that fact. Include him in it. He's there with you. Delight in him even as you relax. Now, granted, there may be some, some shows and some movies that you probably wouldn't watch anymore if he was right there with you. But that's probably a good thing, isn't it? Probably a good thing. But include him in what you do. Include him in what you enjoy. When you go on holidays, delight in him. And it doesn't mean that every holiday you go on needs to be a mission trip. Uh, it just means that as you are on your holiday experiencing new things, you are rejoicing in him. Praise God that I'm here. Praise God that I get to see this with my friends and family. Praise God that I'm able to do these things. Experience these new things. Let your holiday be infused with praise and gratitude to God. Therefore, therefore, the rose of life that the preacher has showed us is filled with vanity, filled with futility. When we go reach the end of the road, there is nothing but smoke and vapor. He's shown us this. So you can, we can either continue down this road the way we usually do, or we can do it with Jesus. We can walk it for Jesus, and we can do it in him. When you make life about him, when you do it following him, letting him guide you, doing it his way, he redeems it from what sin has distorted it to be, and he makes it an oasis that leads to life. You know, as I end today, I want to give an opportunity for us, before I end, to, to enjoy God's presence for a moment. What a fitting time to do it together, isn't it? 
but just spend a moment to enjoy God for God in worship. But before that, I want to give um, people watching and you here um, an opportunity to respond to God. That if you've been walking down this road um, in this natural way, and you haven't been doing it with Jesus, you haven't been doing it for Jesus, and maybe you don't even know Jesus, you've never committed your life to him. You, he, you, you don't even know what I'm talking about, about what he's done and all that stuff, but you, you want this. You want him to redeem this life from its futility. I want to invite you into this new life that's redeemed by him. Okay, so um, if that is you, if you're watching um, on live stream or you're at the city campus or you're here in Willerton, if that is you, can you just join me in this prayer? Just say this prayer after me. Dear Lord, I confess that I have lived my life my own way. I want to live life your way. I want to follow you. I turn away from my way of living and I want to follow you and your way of living. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Forgive me for how I have not lived the way you want me to live. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins so that I can have eternal life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I encourage you, hey, head out. If you're at Willerton, head out to the Connect Lounge or if you're the city campus, uh, head out to the, I believe there's a Connect Corner and there'll be people that love to chat with you about the decision you just made. Or if you're on the live stream, head to fcc.live and click on the Connect tab and tell us you just accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We would love to connect with you more on that. But for the rest of us, can we stand today? If you're on the city campus, please stand with me as well. And even if you're watching on live stream, can we just spend a moment in response to who God is, what he has done for us in redeeming our lives and let us spend a moment delighting in 